That should allow Arizona to take this down to end the game with a field goal kick. And there it is. We're so close, is what I told the team, but yet so far. We just simply uh, truly don't know how to win yet. And then uh, it's not for lack of effort. We just can't get over that hump. Seemed like we were the better team. And we just couldn't get it done. And uh, the best thing about it is that in our first year, we haven't even been here in a year, but we're right there. I was there in Boulder, kiddos, as the sun set on Saturday. I was watching 50,000 people file out of Folsom Field, marking the final home game in the 100th season of the stadium. And just as daylight savings time has moved up the golden hour across the country, after a heartbreaking defeat at the hands of the Arizona Wildcats, it's clear that the Colorado Buffaloes are in the twilight of Coach Prime's first year. So, with no more nationally televised games, Grammy-winning artists, or icons heading to town, we call upon Spencer Hall, ESPN's highest-ranked college football contrarian, to give us the postmortem on year one of the Deion Sanders experience in Boulder. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Wednesday, November 15th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Spencer Hall, the best beard in the business. You are one of our resident college football experts, and in this household, you are the largest one. But I mean overall at the network at ESPN. But you're way more than just an X's and O's guy, of course. You're tapped into this game at a level well beyond polling and coaching carousels. Your thumb is on the culture of college football. If you don't know about every day should be Saturday, get a life. So this is why it was important that we brought you in to break this down. I want to start right at the top, Spence. Who is Deion Sanders to you? Deion Sanders to me is uh, a middle-aged coach trying to prove himself. That That's really what this is. He kind of got, got into coaching a little late because he had an extensive professional career. And I don't just mean that as a player. He also sold hot dogs or hot dog makers for a living for a while and took a spin through reality television. And it's intriguing. I think people don't cover it the way that maybe they should because what they're actually seeing here when they see Dion is they're seeing a guy who is really just getting started. And, and that's that's more than anything else. You go, okay, who's this exciting young coach, uh, you know, in his 50s who also happened to be an NFL Hall of Famer and who also happened to be a guy who I believe was on The Celebrity Apprentice once. Before he stepped into your world of college football coaching in terms of who he is now, who was he to you as a younger man? I know to me, I wore 21 in all three sports I played in high school because of primetime neon Dion. What was he to you? Uh, he was a guy who didn't like to tackle. 
<laughs> I I tend to be contrary when people look at things and I'll grant you that he was, you know, one of the best corners ever, if not the best cornerback, a spectacular athlete. He's the guy who threw water on Tim McCarver, which I love. Last night, Deion Sanders apparently upset with Tim McCarver's criticisms of his two-sport day last Sunday. Felt like he would gain a measure of revenge, not with champagne, but by dousing McCarver with four tubs of ice water. And after this confrontation... Tim McCarver confronted Sanders. McCarver's right here. Right now. Hey, you I got a real you. man. You know that? You are a real man, Dion. I'll say that. Like, if you go, what's Dion's greatest accomplishment to me? And I'm like, oh, he threw water on Tim McCarver. That's, it made him real mad. Like, you mad. I know you mad started with Cameron, but you mad's predecessor the like coelacanth to the modern fish that is, you know, you mad its ancestor is, is Dion throwing it at him and watching Tim McCarver get madder than a wet hen, like a literal wet hen in the uh, clubhouse. So that's what Dion is to me. Like I was always, people really liked Dion and I get very suspicious instantly of somebody that everybody really likes. And there's a lot of real there. And if you want to know what the realest part of Dion is, it is one, his talent as an athlete, because I mean, there might be three or four people who play the game of football who possess a unique skill set that's comparable to his. You know, like if I was thinking, like, you, you're not asking this, I'm just going to give it to you. If you if you go, okay, who's who are the athletes who possessed a freakish set of skills comparable to Dion? And you're like Larry Allen, maybe Aaron Donald, Reggie White. And Randy Moss, those are, if you want to know, like on the bell curve, where they're at in terms of talent, they're so far over to the right that there's very few other little dots with them. That's such a different thing that we think about when it comes to coaches, because so many Mm -hmm. football coaches are just dudes that you forgot ever even played. And they might've been the Mm -hmm. backup quarterback at some D3 college that nobody's ever heard of. How do you think that physical ability when you first heard Prime is getting into coaching, would translate to what he could actually do as a leader of boys, young men, men, whatever it may be? Well, there are a lot of contraindicating facts, thoughts, and, you know, influences here when you go, okay, is he going to be good at this? Good athletes don't tend to be great coaches because they'll just walk out there and say, why don't you just do the superhero thing? If you look at great coaches, oftentimes they were the worst baseball player. They were a journeyman. They were somebody who was barely hanging on and they had to learn all of the nuances, ins and outs, X's and O's and little tricks in order to stay in the game and then became coaches and realized I've been preparing for this all along. This is certainly something that Dion wasn't preparing for. But I think that undersells one how good Dion was in terms of preparation. You, you don't serve in the NFL, right? You don't make the NFL. Uh, you don't get paid to play professionally if you don't have those things. And, and that go, even goes for guys who are as freakishly talented as he was. So I think that undersells how good he was at the mental side of the game. And not only in terms of using his talent to intimidate people, but in terms of scouting, in terms of knowing guys, in terms of you know tracking tendencies, these are all things that prepare you, I think, to some degree to be a football coach. But additionally, I think people might have slept on a lot of the mentors that he'd had along the way in terms of coaching, whether you know or not. Um, you know how all pilots end up talking like Chuck Yeager, like uh, everyone who we are going to be landing down here in Tallahassee soon. If you look to your right, you can see the stadium where Deion Sanders once ran one back against Clemson and told the whole crowd to. Oh, 
take, take a seat. I'm a pilot. Yes, that's correct. Everybody ends up kind of sounding like they're from West Virginia and, you know, kind of sounding real cool. And that's, I think, anybody who played under Bobby Bowden ends up inadvertently sounding a little bit like Bobby Bowden. But, you know, you're talking about a guy who played for a lot of other great coaches, too. So uh, a guy who had taken notes along the way and then put that, you know, put that rubber to the road when he decided to, you know, take over Jackson State. And not that I think that completely prepares you for the job that he took on at Colorado, which we can talk about in terms of being a monumental rebuild. And by that, I mean a a monument that had collapsed over the years due to age and neglect and needs the kind of refitting that like a pyramid needs, that a a large edifice needs. It's a huge job and it's not one that happens quickly, but it's very new. I think he's still raw as a head coach. He's going to make mistakes and he's going to learn. It's weird that you have to say, I have to be patient and evaluate this quantity, this story, this person. I have to evaluate them like you would anywhere, anyone else, because that's not been the case for him. Well, let's talk about that part. And let's try to go step by step with this, because I'm very curious as to what your mindset was and what your reaction was in the moment. When he walks into that room, 21, Coach Prime on the jersey, something we don't see from a lot of coaches, mm-hmm. proceeds to talk about his Louis luggage, how everybody's got to get out of town, this, that, and the third. Was there an eye roll from you, or did you look at that as, man, this is what we needed in college football? It's a little bit of an eye roll, and not for the reasons you think. It's the same speech. This is, again, why Dion is exceptional, but not because you have to do a lot of the same things you do as a football coach wherever you go. That speech, when you go in, there's a lot of different variations of it. It's, you know, if you don't like it, you get out of here. Okay, so in college, you can't cut people. But what you can do is cut them. And by that, I mean, you can tell them, you know, things might not be cool for you here. You might not get a whole lot of playing time. The transfer portal's right there, you know. Weird. Your your grades don't appear to be measuring up all of a sudden, you know. Might want to, the kind of permissions and forgiveness you might have been given under a previous regime, that's not showing up here. So... That speech is is not is there might be a little Dion flair to it. There might be his own little style to it. But that speech is I mean, Brian Kelly has given that speech everywhere he's gone. He just didn't mention Louis Vuitton luggage. Okay. And, and it, his is usually punctuated with, I don't care, you can beat me here. His is usually punctuated with the last mother got that guy fired, and that's not gonna be me. That's a quote I have heard on several occasions from several different people at several different programs. That's just that's what a coach does when they come in. And Dion might have had his own little spin on it by he did something wild in that, by the way. I mean, he did something wild this year, which is he brought his son in to play quarterback. And if anyone else had done that and if it had been any other son, I think we would have justifiably raked him over the coals for it. But you can't do that because it's Shadur Sanders and he's really good at quarterback, right? So if you want to talk about the things that he's done that are different, the things that he's done that are exceptional, you know, talk about that kind of stuff. The kind of thing where he comes in and tells everybody to either get in or get out, standard issue. One of the things that struck me is that I don't think people had remembered exactly how bad Colorado is. You talk about a rebuilding pyramids. I've been to Folsom Field a bunch of times this year. It's a hundred years old. It might as well be a pyramid. That's one matter. Yeah. But number two, they were god awful. Did you think that he had any chance? at relevance in terms of specifically football going into this season, knowing who they had been previously. 
Not with that offensive line, no. Like uh, a team is built on the offensive line. Uh, football teams are built from the inside out. And I just didn't think they had the talent up front, given what Carl Durrell had brought in the door. First, you've got to stand up and be able to influence the line of scrimmage. That is like step one. That is the fundament. I didn't think they had that. And they come out in game one and they manage to put a really good quarterback and some really good skill players at the perimeter to mitigate a lot of that mess. But Colorado is is coming from a place that is very, very bad. They don't have the talent that other people have. I think in order to be very good at football, you have to have a communal delusion. You have to have a community of people who all agree that this is a championship program. You don't have to be a championship program. In fact, you're often not a championship program in order to believe that, right? But you need a group of people who all go, yeah, Arizona football can be good. Yeah, Bowling Green can be good. Yeah, I need I need Maryland to be really good, even if there's no reason to believe that that can happen. And that's how it starts. And I don't think Colorado had a whole lot of that, you know? So the hiring of Deion Sanders to me, made immense sense because it's a way to not just people say, oh, well, he made it exciting. No, you're trying to instill belief. You're trying to instill uh, presence and trying to say, hey, we not only do we exist, but the thing that we're producing will be different and exciting. The dogs are excited about Dion. I can see. Uh, I don't know if you can hear them. (sighs) We'll get into into the the depths of the season in a second, but I want to go back to the TCU game. I think for a lot of people, that was a major eye-opener TCU, a team that was in the national title game, albeit somewhat, I don't want to say flukily, but they were not exactly the most normal path to that situation. There's other things involved in that as well. And basically walked into Fort Worth and ended their season. What were you thinking during that game, knowing what kind of battle we were looking at versus a team going one direction versus the other? Uh, It was stunning. I didn't think they'd be able to stay on the field with them, you know, and I really, in retrospect, underestimated what Colorado had at the perimeter and at quarterback, but at the same time also really overestimated TCU's ability to do anything defensively. Listen, it's a styles make fight sport. And the style at TCU uh, that day was we're not going to defend anything We're we're going to have no clue what you're throwing at, which by the way, when you don't have film, which they did not have film, that's what happens. Really TCU took the blame and took a lot of the flack that other teams would eventually use as the game plan against Colorado, right? Starting with Nebraska game and moving forward, you know, which was, okay, if we, if we take away these guys and we apply a little bit of pressure, you know, they will fold because they don't have the depth to keep up with all of this. And, you know, Shudder Sanders as good as he's been, you know, he, he can't do this alone. I think we found out that the coaching staff had a lot of really good answers for the kind of problems that they were facing. And I think we found out that TCU um, was terrible on defense. Nebraska game happens. The hype machine is building. Then Colorado State comes up. We get comments. We get chirping between coaches. We've got game day. Mm-hmm. We got rappers. We got Gronkowski. I mean, this was a full-blown circus. What did that look like to you as somebody that is steeped in the college football history that you are seeing all that craziness in Boulder? I remember because I was there, as Francesca would say. Yeah, uh, it was a superb show. It's a great show. And that's that's what you want with a rivalry game. I think everybody watching Colorado at one in the morning is exact Eastern is, is exactly what they envisioned when they hired Dion. And it was a great game.
But at the same time, there was a lot of things where you go, hey, in this rivalry game, this other team is hanging with you. And this other team is looks to be just as good as you. And um, you have a lot of theater around rivalry games. You have a lot of pageantry, but at the end, it is actually a football game. And in that case, I think they found out, okay, we're hanging by a thread. Like our margins are so small here, right? Even against Colorado State. So what people I think had anticipated, you know, who were... Um, death and taxes people when it comes to football and that's death i'm definitely one of those guys you know like i'm like running the ball fixes everything you have to be able to run the ball you have to be able to play enough defense and you have to be able to recruit more importantly than anything else you have to be able to recruit and keep the money coming in those two things are tied and colorado the math wasn't mathing the math didn't math before which is again kind of an amazing thing this entire experience is essentially a float loan like Dion signed without getting the money first. You know, that's this is all built on clouds. And sometimes uh, gravity kicks in and you go, yeah, maybe we're not that much better than Colorado State. Maybe there's a longer way to go than we anticipated. Coming up, we're going to get into the separate question of how has Deion Sanders affected the rest of college football, never mind just in Boulder. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. In your opinion, Spencer, what is the meaning of an effective college football coach in 2023? We've seen schools like yours run through a bunch of coaches. I'm referring to the Florida Gators. Yep. We've seen other teams leave all kinds of money on the table. The Power Five owes $146 million to fired football coaches since 2022. That number to me is insane. And I do think that there's something to be said for is everybody even doing this correctly? And how do we even measure what works at this point? 
yeah, you have to be comfortable with paying for attainable goals. That's it. You you want to be very realistic about what you're doing. I think Colorado is pretty realistic because I think what they wanted to do was plant a flag and show that, you know, yes, we are here. We are present. We are committed to football, whatever that means. Okay. To me, going out and taking a big swing like this is definitely proof that you are committed because obviously it lasted longer than a game. It's not a stunt. This is his program. And he is the guy doing the recruiting, managing the staff at games, deciding what they're going to look like, making moves midseason that even if you disagree with them or think they're marginally insane, which I would argue that benching Sean Lewis's play caller for Pat Shermer is marginally insane, but it's his. It's yeah. his. And I think Colorado's okay with that. They're okay with, okay, we sold the documentary to Amazon. We, people watch our games now and we're okay with this for the moment, right? Now those might change and maybe they should. If you're successful uh, and, you know, you've raised the floor, you might want to start raising your eyebrows up a little bit, you know, and looking a little bit higher in terms of your goals. I think that's what intrigues me most about this is exactly what you mentioned, whether it's internecine coordinator moves midseason mm-hmm. or how he puts his team together in terms of grad transfers, high schoolers, regular transfers. The entire manner within which he's set this up feels very different from a lot of other places that legitimately consider themselves to be serious about football. Dabble comes to mind because when he started whining about attention at three and four and couldn't understand why people didn't want to get off his back, looking probably over at Prime, who's making his kids money, let's just say getting new video boards, bringing in all kinds of people, those two things and that Dion versus everybody else's system really struck me as what I'll just call an average college football fan, that something else can work and other schools might look at that and say, whoa, what are we doing? Based on Clemson this year, that is the model that works and doesn't work because they've been rough. And Dev was going to probably end up changing the way he does things because he likes winning. I think there are a lot of different models right now for how to do this. And obviously, Dion's is one, which is heavily transfer portal reliant. Right now, if you look at their recruiting, you know, and again, this is death and taxes football. Right now, they are about at Colorado State's level. For all of this, if you look at them as just a conventional football program that does things conventionally and does all the normal things that football programs do, they're recruiting uh, at about the level of Colorado State. Now, does that include the transfer portal? Not yet. They will do a ton of work there. And I think we'll end up ahead of their rivals once the smoke clears from the season and once transfers shake out. But if you go, well, what about a team like Arizona? Right. A, a team that is now thriving under Jeff Bowl Fish. bound Arizona. Bowl beyond. We're talking they might be they might be picking bowls instead of cool, we got one. No, you might have a selection. You might be at the buffet, son. Like, congratulations. Arizona produces a good amount of talent. Colorado does not. And that is a big difference between the two states. And that is, I think, going to be a big difference for him is is when Colorado's been very good. Colorado has recruited heavily from Southern California and from Texas. And because there has rarely been enough talent to support a program, much less two at that level in the state. Let me ask you, though, if I'm a school and I'm looking at a Colorado as an example, and I'm an AD and I say, listen, 
we've been middling, doing this, doing that. Sure, we could go out and give some guy $100 million who was on somebody's staff, but we could also probably give somebody $40 million who's really popular, bring a bunch of kids here, have a good time, and ultimately, that's as good as whatever we were shooting for so we don't end up paying out the nose in buyouts. Is there a chance that, arguably, a lot more schools are probably where Colorado is in terms of realism than, say, where Texas A&M thinks they are? It is weird to get to a point where we say hiring Deion Sanders was a practical plan, right? Just because, as he is fond of saying, he's a luxury brand, you know? But in some senses, the savings might be real because the idea of paying all that money for a buyout. How much money did you say was out in buyouts, by the way? Spencer, let me break it down right here. $15.5 million for Brian Harson from Auburn. $15 mm-hmm. million for Scott Frost. Fun fact, Spencer and I met at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta where Scott Frost's shirts are actually behind a piece of glass. That's a whole other story. $11.5 million for Jeff Collins for Georgia Tech. $11 million for Paul Chris from Wisconsin. $8.7 million for Carl Durrell from Colorado. $4.5 million for Herm Edwards. We play to get paid and $4 million for Zach Arnett just most recently from Mississippi State. Those are small potatoes numbers compared to the big one at Texas A&M. But in general, what happens, Spencer, when winning doesn't become everything and making money and looking good and having a good time for college football program is in fact more profitable than whatever you would make trying to get to, let's just say, a New Year's Day Bowl? By the way, I'm very glad that we just skated right by the notion that this was a student athlete endeavor. No, this is a franchise. Let's just talk about them like franchises. Let's not even entertain amateurism. And I'm being dead serious about that. It is like that is what we should treat it as. The notion to me that you could just have a good time, like you said, post some numbers and put on a good show. This is again, this is where Dion is in many ways, I think, a traditional coach. This, this used to be, and, and I think this is still very much the MO for a lot of programs. This is how the air raid got into mainstream college football. And I would argue mainstream football because programs that had no other alternative, programs that just said, listen, we need butts and seats. That's what they did. And they were showmen. You know, Mike Leach, I believe, climbed up on the roof of Valdosta State's press box and put a siren on the top. And that wasn't a tactical advantage. That was because we were trying to put on a show. And I think that's not a bad model for everyone else. It's not the model for Alabama, and it doesn't need to be the model for Alabama. This is a big ecosystem. There are 32 pro teams, 32 NFL franchises. There are 130 plus FBS franchises. You can do this a lot of different ways. Would you call, it's the last thing I'll ask you, the Deion Sanders experience at Colorado season one, a successful one. Yeah, already. Already. We're having this podcast. We're talking about Colorado football in uh, what, November? November? Like, that never happens. Usually it was after September that they were totally done. So, for Colorado, this has absolutely been a success. I'll say this, like, if he if he walked tomorrow, like, if he walked, just like, yeah, I'm done. Did the thing that I think his most ardent haters would have imagined, right? Anything short of a scandal at this point is a success because they've gotten people energized. They got people in that building. You've been there. 
more than I have. You saw. <laughs> but when I was there, there was nobody there. And that was not the case when you were there, correct? Correct. There were a lot of people there. There were people up there up until the end of the last home game of the season. Yeah. And, and I will say, like, personally, like, if you're listening to this and you go, that seems inaccurate. I think there's a rug pull coming. Buddy, that's what I think, too. Because I don't trust Dion for the same reason I don't trust any coach. Ultimately, their incentives and the program's incentives and your incentives as a fan, all three of those don't align. When somebody is, you know, hey, I'm bringing my own luggage. I'm changing things up. I'm like, this is this, this guy sounds like a carny barker. I think the season's borne out. There's a lot of legitimate value to what he brings to a program. And even if we're talking about legitimate value, just being dollars and cents, just being eyeballs, that still matters, right? I can, I can argue, like you can argue me down degrees on all of this, but ultimately there's something real there, whether anyone likes that or not. I say this as a Dion skeptic, by the way, and I have been, but I have been proven wrong at multiple turns and look forward to being proven wrong again. He's Spencer Hall, and I think his dogs might be the biggest Deion Sanders fans in his household. Thank you, Spence. Thank you. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.